So are you willing to give up blame and pinpoint your own role and then spend your efforts on changing yourself rather than the other person? This is a presentation I did for the Good Book Club. I'll put the information for that book club in the description. I was invited to do this presentation on relationships across difference divides. Here it is. Let me tell you a little bit about ourselves. So I would say that our collapse of belief where like things changed for us was probably the end of 2019. And then COVID hit was really easy for us to just kind of disappear. And then as church started back up, people didn't recognize that anything had changed for us. And we started getting called to do things for church. And so we thought just to let people know where we were at, we thought it would be good to resign and for a lot of other reasons. But anyway, we resigned um, early last year. So it's been about a year. And before my belief really collapsed, um, one of the biggest fears I had was losing relationships. And um, today I feel like I can say that I haven't really lost any relationships, um, but I do have to admit they aren't the same. I am not an expert. You can take what's useful and you can leave what's not. And I'm not trying to claim that what has worked for me is going to work for everyone. You get to decide. And that's just so important to me. Um, I don't want to anyone to feel like I'm preaching to you. Um, I'm, I've tried when I wrote this out to use language that is very self-reflective and not like we should do this. So, um, but I, that's really important for me to, to, for you to figure out where you're at and then you take the next step forward and don't try to think that I'm trying to tell you what to do because <laughs> I don't know what's best for you. You do. <laughs> like I had someone ask me once, like, why do you think it's so important? And I really didn't know how to answer it. And so I thought it would so I did some self-reflection. I, I feel like it helps me avoid echo chambers. I prefer rich and deep relationships over shallow and surface level relationships. I feel like I can make new friends and I'm totally fine making new ex-Mormon friends, but I can't make a new mom or a dad or a brother. And all of my family is still in. Um, my best friends going up are all still in. And so, and then the other thing is like, I really can't explain my strong desire for it. Like, it's just, I feel instinctive that it's important. So I, I'm trusting my intuition and I just am going down this path. Um, I also consider it a skill and I feel like the more I practice, the better person I'll be. This is a quote by Brene Brown. I love this book. Um, people often silence themselves to agree or agree to disagree without fully exploring the actual nature of the disagreement for the sake of protect, protecting the relationship and maintaining connection. But when we avoid certain conversations we, and never fully learn how the other person feels about all the issues, we sometimes end up making assumptions that not only perpetuate, but deepen misunderstandings and that can generate resentment. If you want true connection, sometimes you can't just be superficial in your relationships. Pretty early on, I read Feeling Good Together by David Burns. I was actually looking for Feeling Good by David Burns, but it was unavailable, and this one was available, so I decided to read it. It turned out to be like a relationship book. As you were reading it, he had you have someone in mind that you had a troubled relationship with. I felt like it was super useful. Uh, the claim he makes is that there are ways that we can shift ourselves 
that can positively impact our relationships. Um, I really liked his advice. It empowered me. Um, and it's, it wasn't always easy for me. I had to let go of my ego to see where I can improve, but it also gave me the power to improve it as well by like saying, well, if it is some of my fault, then that means I have, I can't change other people, but I can change myself. I found a clip on YouTube on Neil Satin's YouTube page. He interviewed David Burns, and I'm just going to share a couple of clips from that interview. Here's the first one. Or if you're at conflict with, with a colleague or a friend, is that you go to the therapist, you say, oh, I'm not getting along with my sister, my mother, my spouse. And uh, the, the, the therapist assumes, okay, well, this person wants a, a joyous and loving relationship. But often nothing can be further from the truth. The person doesn't really want a good relationship with the person they're, 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 uh, they're complaining about. And, um, and then if the therapist tries to help that person, they, they will resist the treatment. That's called outcome resistance because the, the person doesn't want to get close to the person they're, they're ticked off at. And, and the way I bring this out about it in uh, workshops, um, and we could even do the experiment with, with the listeners right now. Great, let's do it. As I say, um, just to bring this idea to, to life, imagine one person you, you don't like. Uh, can you think of one person now or at any point in your life, someone you kind of deeply resent and maybe they're, they always have to be right or they won't listen uh, or uh, they're, they're controlling, uh, they, they can't share their feelings, they're, they're always exploiting other pe people, uh, narcissistic, you know, and how many of you can think of someone like that? And so all the hands go, go up. And then I say, now let, let's imagine there's a magic button on right on the desk in front of you. And if you press that magic button, that person who, who you're, you're so ticked off at, who you so deeply resent, will instantly become your greatest friend in, in the whole world with no effort at all. How many of you are gonna press that, that magic button? And then people laugh and maybe if you've got a group of 200 in the workshop, maybe one or two hands will go up. And then I say, now notice what just happened. I, I, I just gave you the choice between a hostile, abusive, troubled relationship, a mean-spirited one. And then it kind of dawns on, on people, yeah, I, I, I don't really want to get close to that, to that person. Okay, that's good. And so the first- We could listen to this whole podcast and it would be better than me. So maybe I'll have a link to that whole thing because I thought it was- um, good. He, he goes on and he talks about like, do we secretly love to hate? And the way that he writes his book and he has you go through some um, exercises to figure out what motives are competing with um, your intimate relationship that, with this other person that you have in mind that you seem to want to have a good relationship with. Um, and sometimes we'd rather blame. We'd rather be right. Um, we we want to get back at them. They started it. Um, so you have to decide, do you really want to get close to this person? And that, that he spends like a whole chapter at the beginning of the book, really trying to get to the bottom because you're not going to be able to get closer. You're not going to be able to do anything if you don't really want to do anything. Um, and there's no right answer. Even he even gives you a lot of, uh, options. He says, you don't have to have a good relationship. You can choose to end the relationship or you can choose to keep going as it's going, or you can choose to work on these things that can help 
but there's no right answer, but you do have to be the person that decides. The second issue is called process resistance. And I ask and ask the listeners right now, if, if you did want to get close to that person, what is one thing you're going to have to do that you're probably not going to want to do? In other words, what process will you have to get engaged in to, to, to make that relationship work, to make that a loving, convert that hostile relationship to, to a loving one? And, and, and to help people answer that question, I, I, then I ask the audience, and we can ask the listeners now, who in your heart of hearts do you think is more to blame for that relationship, the person you're not getting along with, uh, the person you don't like? Who, who's the bigger jerk, you or the other person? And then people right, generally it's obviously start, the other person. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the other person put your hands up, but then, you know, 95% of the hands go up. And I say that, or 80% anyway, 80 or 90%. And then I say that's the way it is in, in, in our culture. We're always telling ourselves that it's the other person's fault, and we see ourselves as, as, as the victim. And then I say to the audience, what is the prognosis for helping a troubled relationship when, when with helping someone who says it's the other guy's fault, it's her fault, it's, it's his fault? And they say, yeah, the prognosis is, is zero. If it's all their fault... I mean, that could be true. Maybe it is all the church's fault. Maybe it is all um, this other person's fault that you may be trying to have a good relationship with. But if that's the case, then the chances of you being able to do anything about it is zero. So are you willing to give up blame and pinpoint your own role and then spend your efforts on changing yourself rather than the other person? Because changing other people doesn't always work well. I appreciate the, the guy that was doing this interview on here was a great interviewer. And he basically said, what if it's not worth the relationship? Like, what if they are so difficult that it's not worth it? And um, anyway, this is him asking that question. So I thought it was really good. It's like, what if the other person really, like, let's just say, okay, for the, for the time being, David, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to take 100% of the responsibility for my side of things. And I'm just going to give that my all. At what point would I be able to say like, you know, actually I've been giving this my all and that other person really is an asshole and I need to get out of here or. Um, well, as the Buddha said uh, 2,500 years ago, there are no assholes in the United States at this time. <laughs> <laughs> there are assholeish behavior exists and we all do that. But, uh, uh, but, but, the, but the question is, is ultimately a personal one uh, of, uh, uh, you know, what are the advantages and disadvantages of, of working hard to make this relationship better? What are the advantages and disadvantages of getting out of the relationship? And, and what are the advantages and disadvantages of, of, of the status quo? When you, I always tell people when you have a troubled relationship, that, that's the decision you, 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 need, you need to make. And, and uh, I, I'd be glad to work with you if you want to make the relationship better. And I've got some fantastic, you know, powerful tools for, for doing that. But if you want to leave the relationship, I would totally support you in, in that decision as well. And if you want to stay in the relationship and, and do nothing to change it, you know, I, I, I can accept that, that choice as, as well. But beyond that, if, if someone wants to make a relationship better, then I always work uh, through, through specifics. Uh, okay, that's well, I, good. There it is. If they really are the asshole and you can't get past that, you have choices and you don't have to do anything. Um, you can just stay and 
do nothing, you can leave or you can stay and try to make it better. So once you get past those two barriers and you decide, yes, I am willing to work on what I can work on. He goes through different techniques um, to effective communication. Um, the first one, and he, in that podcast, if you listen to it, he has an example that he kind of runs through all of these different things. If you're interested, you can get a little snippet. It's like an hour long, or you could read the book or listen to the audio book. Um, so the first one is disarming. And so it's, if you've been told something to find truth in what they say, even if it's unfair and untrue. And he bases this off the law of opposites, which is if you defend yourself, you're proving their criticism, right? So like by even engaging in an argument, um, you're actually giving them some ground to stand on. And so you can, you can disarm that by finding whatever little bit of truth in what they're saying and you, um, you grant that to them. Um, the other one is uh, thought empathy and feeling empathy. So thought empathy is repeating their words so that they know you got the message. And then feeling empathy is acknowledging how they probably feel. So like I'm thinking of like my parents, uh, we went to Thrive and Alan and Katie Mount's talk was um, an eye opener for me. And it made me wonder how my parents are doing. So here I am struggling in all my pain and discomfort. And I was like, I wonder how they're doing because there is pain on their side too. And so I came back and, um, and I just asked them how they might be feeling. Um, and it opened up a really nice conversation. It was just a good way to get into a conversation, just asking how they're doing instead of just always wishing they would ask me how I'm doing. And the next one is inquiry. So you ask them, you ask them gentle questions about how they are uh, feeling and thinking. You're not trying to like, uh, trap them or anything like that. Um, assertiveness. So this one is really cool. I feel statements, um, totally worth trying. This works even when I'm having a five. <laughs> so like, instead of, instead of being like, you did this and you did this, you did this, you use, I feel statements. And the, the reasoning behind that, he talks about this in the book is that if you use, I feel statements, people can't argue with your, how you're feeling. They can't, I mean, if you say you did this, they can argue back, right? But if you say, I, I'm feeling this way, um, it's a very powerful way to um, express how you are feeling in a direct way, but it's still gentle and it's still opening and it's not threatening to them because you're not blaming them for doing for making you feel that way. You're just telling them how you're feeling. Um, and then stroking, um, he, he said he didn't like that word, but he couldn't find any other word to use for it. <laughs> but he... Uh, it basically, you need to convey warmth and love, even when you're really struggling. Um, and I have, I was going to share this later, but I think this is what I did on accident. Um, I was, when, when I very first told my parents that I didn't believe anymore, a lot of church topics came up, a lot of really heavy conversations came up. And um, over a period of like a month or two, that's all the interactions with my dad that I had, that was it. It was, they were all really negative. Um, there were times where I was in tears. A lot of mean things were said. I'm sure I said things too. And, um, I was reading another book totally unrelated, but this, I had this epiphany kind of unrelated. It was, it was a, like a political kind of book. It wasn't, um, they were talking about, uh, the gay rights movement and how that, battle was won, according to the author I was reading, by drawing the circle bigger 
around people. So they started putting ads in New York City that were like, this is your firefighter. This is your servicemen. These are your daughters. These are your brothers. These are your family. These are us. They drew the bigger circle. And so it made me have uh, an epiphany that I like, what do I have in common with my dad? I need to focus on that and not what we had. We no longer have the church in common. So I can't focus my relationship on the church anymore. And so I was like, what do we have in common? And I was like, well, he's my dad and I love him. And so I was at my parents' house helping them paint a a room and he was out in the shop and I just went outside and I gave him a hug and I gave him a kiss on the cheek and that was it. I just left. That was all I did. And it really, really helped. And so you really do have to convey the love that you have for these people in your life as well. Here are some common things. As I've been going through this, I have been really trying to grow up and not just flip flop. So, you know, as a member, I remember believing that um, people that leave the church are deceived by Satan, um, that they don't have a true testimony, that they just are falling for anti-Mormon lies, that they're just lazy. And all of those things have in common. They're all dismissive. They're all dismissive of the real reasons that people leave. And I notice now being in the ex-Mormon space and after having some time to heal and re I've worked on some relationships with members, I've realized how many dismissive things I've been thinking, oh, you're just brainwashed. Like that's a very dismissive thing to say. They believe they are doing the right thing. And then you, someone tells them they're just brainwashed. It's just a very dismissive statement. I have another friend that went through a faith crisis and he was describing it to me. And he, as he was describing it to me, he basically said, oh, I guess I guess you probably don't think it's a real faith, faith crisis. And it was a true dark night of the soul. He went, he told me all about it. And I was like, I, that would be very dismissive of me to say that wasn't a real faith crisis. So, um, there are plenty of people that know all of the things and they, and they, and they stay and that, um, should be okay with me. They're just doing mental gymnastics. Uh, they're uninformed or uneducated or, or whatever. As I've been trying to, um, mend relationships, I try to, not only avoid those statements, but actually not believe them anymore. Cause, um, I don't, I think beliefs are, are a lot deeper just philosophically. I think our beliefs are, we think we understand ourselves, but I don't think any of us really do. I think we're a lot more in common with people we disagree with than, um, people than, than we think, I guess. Um, and so, uh, and then I've noticed that as I have, I've done this. So I'll get in heated debates online, <laughs> which is probably dumb, <laughs> but we'll start getting into it. And it gets to a point where I can, they're bearing their testimony to me. And when that happens, I usually just tell them something like, I can tell this is very important to you. Um, thanks for sharing. And I, I wish you the best. And almost immediately they reciprocate and they say something similar. Like, I know you're just trying your best. And it, it, it just, it diffuses when you are able to accept people for what they're actually saying they believe. Um, it just really diffuses a lot. And, and I've had this epiphany before this aha moment. So I want to be supported in my decision to leave. So even though it's, and I don't want them to be trying to save my soul. (laughs) So I need to do the same thing and support them where they're at and also not try to save their soul. I've also learned, uh, like, especially my adult family, like they're big boys and girls who know how to use the internet. And when they're ready to like willingly expose themselves to the criticism that I feel like changes things, they'll do that. I think you had a comment. Go ahead. 
I didn't want to interrupt your mojo, your flow here. Well, I'm at the end of a slide, so you're good. <laughs> oh, so no, just the things you've been talking about. It just reminds me the evening that I spent with uh, about uh, 60 of us and uh, Jana Spangler, some of you know Jana, uh, she was teaching us about space for one another. And um, Marty, you said something about how it, it seems like this is new for many people on both sides of the equation as we get into this into the this relationship with the church in the middle and and I've experienced this with siblings where this is new for them. They've never had a brother who or a sister-in-law or anything like this happen and I've never been in this situation and it sounds like you haven't been in this situation where you've left a church after umpteen years. So so if we are thinking about one thing that we can do and strive to do or just and you've brought it up you really have it's 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 just recognizing uh even if the other person doesn't recognize it if we can recognize it that we need time and they need time and they may not know it because we're better than they are no i'm kidding <laughs> they just don't know it or they they may not they may know it but it's so hard so i'm just talking just space is what we want and when Jana was talking to us, it was like, we have to offer that space up to the other folks that we're, we're interacting with. So yeah. I just, that, it just made me think about that. Cause this is all new, new in many different ways for many of us. It yeah. sounds like for you too. Yes. So I'm, I hear you. Yes. We're all stumbling and learning together <laughs> for sure. So another Brene Brown quote, um, people are hard to hate close up, move in. And that is so true. Um, you would be surprised. You think you know what other people can handle. Um, but when you move in, um, it's amazing how much uh, people are willing to accept you. I have my whole first episode of my podcast is just talking about how I don't feel like for time, I'm, I'm learning that I belong anywhere, but for a long time, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. I didn't belong in the church. I didn't belong out of the church. I politically lean conservative. So as many of us know, the, the ex-Mormon space is very left-leaning. And so I was like, well, maybe I got to keep my political views to myself because people aren't going to accept me. And I couldn't be more wrong. Um, generally, if you're just not an asshole about it, people are very willing to be, be close to you. And, um, it, I, it matters less than I thought, I guess. So, and all of these, these, these are great. Uh, speak truth to bullshit. Like, I don't think you have to stay in a room if someone's saying something you don't like, but you can be civil about disagreement. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Um, holding hands with strangers, um, kind of similar to that first one, strong back, soft heart or soft front, wild heart. So, you know, standing, I think you can, you can think what you think, that's what strong back means to me. Um, soft front means I might be wrong. A wild heart, just like be brave, um, be willing to learn. Um, anyway, the, her whole book is really good. I highly recommend it. Some of the things that I've learned. So a lot of times we leave and we assume everybody in that's in the church must believe the way I did. And it's because I believe I was wrong. Now they are all wrong. But um, some, a huge thing I've learned is that no two members believe the same. And it's like, I knew that while I was in there too, but I've learned it in a different level. Like there, there are some people that seem to have a healthier relationship with the church than I did. And I can support them in staying because of that. It's okay to give members an off ramp too. So like, 
I, I know it doesn't feel good to be gaslit sometimes. So when they update the way they do things, it can feel like, oh, this is the way we're doing things. Therefore, that's the way we always done things. So the way you were believing is just crazy. Uh, we were having this conversation not too long ago about how some of the culture things are changing. And, and so for us that have been out, um, or at least we were expected to live a certain way and current members are not expected to live that way. You know, it can feel like, Hey, you can't change it. But if the church is improving and getting better, we, we it's okay to give them an off ramp. I think uh, another thing I've learned are our wise and admirable people in the church and out of the church. And there are shallow and stuck individuals in the church and out of the church. And then also I've realized that leaving the church didn't make me suddenly cure my black and white thinking. I'm an engineer. That is kind of how I am. So I'm going to have some of those same problems, even on this side of belief <laughs> uh, or whatever I believe now. And then, um, yeah, I'm not suddenly wise and correct. I'm probably almost as wrong as I was before. <laughs> uh, and it didn't cure me of confirmation bias. It didn't cure me of tribalism. Here's some more books that I've read in the last couple of years. Bridges by David Osler. Um, I, I consider David Osler a friend. He has a, he, he is doing some amazing work trying to build bridges from the faithful side and if his book bridges, um, for some reason, it was really healing to have an active member acknowledge, uh, acknowledge the real reasons people leave. Um, I don't know why, uh, but interacting with faithful members and them being okay with where I'm at has been healing for me. Um, he talks about in that book, five to one ratio of, um, heavy conversations to positive interactions. And so, you know, I talk about, um, all those heavy conversations I had with my dad. I don't think it was wrong to do that, but I think it was wrong to do that every single time I talked to my dad. Have the heavy conversations, deepen those relationships is my has been my kind of goal, but to also have positive interactions that aren't heavy in between. And it, it seems to be working okay. And honestly, sometimes I just avoid them altogether because I'm not ready for them, but um, how to have impossible conversations. That's more politically written, um, but I think it relates. Um, there's this quote in there, beliefs matter because people act on their beliefs. So whether they're true or not, um, and, it, and it's far easier to be wrong than right. So, I mean, even there's something I'm probably believing now that's probably wrong as well. So um, even if you don't believe what they're believing to see it from their perspective is sometimes important if you're trying to have a conversation with them. Um, I really love The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. It kind of gets you out of the thinking I'm right, they're wrong, and just kind of explains that different personalities kind of lean certain ways in their beliefs. It's also more politically written, I think, but um, just want to read this quote. If, if you really want to change someone's mind on a moral or political matter, you need to see things from that person's angle as well as your own. And if you do truly see it from, their, from the other person's point of view, um, deeply intuitively, you might even find your own mind opening in response. Empathy is an antidote to righteousness, although it's very difficult to empathize across uh, a moral divide. And so two things there I want to emphasize is that if you're, if um, sometimes I, you get into like these books and you're like, it's, it's justifying where you're at and you forget this line right here, you might even find your own mind opening in response. So um, 
And I think that's why it's so difficult to empathize across the moral divide is because you want to use these tools to help change them to think more like you, but you're really unwilling to correct your own thinking if you're wrong on something. Timing, I think that, um, I, I don't know what the formula is. I'm trying to figure this out because I want to know the right thing to do, the very exact right thing to do. And um, this has been hard for me to just realize that it's a case by case basis. It's a person to person thing. It's a timing thing. There are definitely ups and downs. And I think sometimes we do have to set boundaries and, and that's okay. You have to take care of yourself, but I also don't think they have to be permanent. I was talking about this in a podcast uh, with a friend and we were talking about the same problem, like me trying to figure out what the exact rules are. Right. (laughs) Anyway, that's something I've kind of thought about is I don't think they're permanent. I feel like as I've grown, I can expose myself to more topics and settings than I could a year ago. Um, we went to a niece's baptism and I was able to look at it like kind of symbolically. And it really wasn't that hard. I was able to look at it as a family gathering and not as a indoctrination thing. And, and it was more of a sweet experience than a triggering experience. And I've also learned to reframe, like that's how I've reframed some things. Another thing I reframed. So I, after that, after that experience with my parents, where I came back and asked them how they were doing, I I was like, and my dad said, I'm okay. I believe you'll come back. (laughs) And I know that can really bother a lot of people. And, you know, I looked at it from his perspective and from his perspective, the highest good is being a member of the church. And so he wants the highest good for me. And I was able to reframe that in a way that wasn't negative for me. And I really, it didn't, it didn't bother me. I was like, yeah, that's where my dad's at. My dad believes that this is the best thing for me. So it shouldn't bother me that he wants the best thing for me. I really like this quote by David Osberger. uh, Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. This is uh, a quote that they talk about a lot at three practices. And I'll explain a little bit more what that is. Um, But I honestly can't believe the power of just listening to somebody and leaving off the butt when I disagree. And I've felt it when people have been willing to listen to me, brother that came to me after we told people that we did not believe anymore. And he came and he listened and that he just said, how is this happening? And that meant a lot to me and my husband. And um, I realized now he was listening to me and that's the same thing as him showing his love for me. And um Anyway, and, I, and I've noticed as I have been willing to listen um, and validate where they're at, it's almost always reciprocated in my interactions with people. I was talking about three practices a little bit. If you're interested in practicing listening, it's at threepractices.com and they have this philosophy and it goes something like when you like the person you're talking to, the rules change. The three practices are... I will be unusually interested in others. I will stay in the room with difference and I will stop comparing my best with your worst. They set up these rules and based on the rules, there's really no way to argue. And uh, the way it kind of works, it's a Zoom meeting and there's a framing question and they ask for a volunteer to take two minutes and then other volunteers ask clarifying questions. And a ref keeps track of the time and make sure the rules are followed. And it, it's interesting because 
basically gives people a chance to be heard. And then you can ask more questions. You can practice your curiosity and try to figure out why they think that. David Osler has kind of a sub three practices website called Bridges. I think it's bridgeslds.com where they are Mormon related circles topics. Like there's just a lot of pain on both sides. I think that's why sometimes these relationships are so hard is because there's really not a strong party to take the weight. Those are some resources if you're interested in like actually practicing. Another example of meeting my friend where she's at. So we went on a long car ride and we were talking about goals. Uh, We're both part of this uh, goal program for like weight loss. And we were talking about our big why and like trying to figure out how to do these goals. And uh, an elder Bednar talk popped into my head that was totally related. And I was able to bring that up just to kind of support what we were saying. And then I think she was shocked that I used church stuff to support (laughs) what we were talking about. I let her know that I want to support her. If there's something good in the church, I, I want to keep it. And she really appreciated it and opened up a beautiful conversation where she was able to ask me where I was at because she never she was curious about where I was at, but she didn't feel like she could ask me because she didn't want to be nosy. So it just opened that up for her. And then we had a really nice conversation. So this is a, a quote that came up on my Facebook feed. I am a fan of Jordan Peterson. I know some people don't like him, but sorry, I like him. Um you are not obligated to associate with people who are making your life worse. So bottom line is if you need to step away from a relationship because they're making your life worse, I, I mean, if you need permission to do that, here it is. <laughs> Just remember it goes both ways because if you are doing something to them where from their perspective, you're damaging their, the structure of their being, they're going to want to move away from you too. So it goes both ways. I want Bruce to do this. Oh. Okay, this is kind of one of my standard Reddit replies when people talk about losing their family or losing their church friends and stuff, because like I I live, you know, outside of Los Angeles and the church is not a big part of anything here. And so when I was still kind of nominally a member of the church, uh, I read a series of books called Tales of the City uh, by Armistead Maupin. And for the gay community, he coined the term um, our logical family. And we also call it family of choice. And if you're partially or totally rejected by your biological family, we need to find our logical family or family of choice to partially or completely replace our biological families. And I have a very large logical family. And then, you know, at church, sometimes when you move into a ward, you find instant friends. And when you move away from the church, a lot of times those friends go away. And so you need to find your logical or friends of choice. So it's not just your family. And and I'm in the position where my parents and uh, two of my three siblings are have already died. And, you know, I have nieces and nephews, but nobody lives within six hours. So I really don't have any family that I'm super close to. And so my whole family, the people that, you know, we take each other to the hospital and are sitting there with surgeries and, you know, we do grocery shopping for each other when we're sick and stuff. But these are all friends. These aren't anybody that I'm related to. So thanks, Bruce. So, um, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening.